This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Glory UGA podcast. I'm Tyler, and here with me on the other end of the line, as usual, is my co-host Curtis. And today, before we get into the football talk we have planned for you guys today, we do have some news that we want to share with all of you for the first few minutes of today's show regarding the future of our podcast. Uh, We know you tuned in to listen to some football talk. We know that. And I promise you we will get there in just a few minutes. But we do have some information that we really want to communicate to you and uh, just feel you guys need to know regarding what's going on with our show. Uh, Curtis and I, we're we're about to enter our fourth football season doing this show. And I think I speak for the both of us when I say it has been an incredible experience. Uh, it gets stressful at times, no doubt, but we love each and every second that we're actually talking football here on the podcast. Uh, we've been doing the show for over three years now with a company called V-Sport-O and their Dog Sports Radio channel. Uh, for the first year and a half, we were exclusive to, to Dog Sports Radio, but last last March, we did expand and kind of add our show to various platforms out there, including iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, tune in a lot of the places that, that you guys listen to us today. Uh, and we've watched our show grow tremendously in that time, really far beyond any expectations that we ever had, at least that I ever had. Um, and the, for example, in the last year, our average listens have tripled. And, and I know that doesn't really mean anything to you guys, but the show has definitely grown. And it's been a, it's been awesome watching that happen. And and all of that really is thanks to all of you guys out there, all you loyal listeners who live and breathe the red and black just like Curtis and I do. And, and we say it all the time. I know it sounds cliche. But I want you to know we really mean it when we say that we truly, sincerely appreciate all of your support, and we value each and every one of you that take time out of your day to listen to our show. We know there's a lot of options out there, and for you guys to take time out of your day and listen to us, uh, we, we sincerely appreciate that. It's truly humbling to have even one person that wants to hear what we have to say, let alone the thousands that do listen to each and every show. Now, obviously, look, we aren't we aren't mainstream or anything like that. There are other much bigger names out there. Honestly, there are better radio personalities who are more polished and are better at cutting up and entertaining that kind of thing. And and we can admit that. I know I can admit that. Like we are delusional. Uh, we're not going to pretend to be anything that we aren't. Uh, we know who we are, and that is really just two average guys who are alumnus of and love the University of Georgia, and who have a little knowledge of the game and and some occasional insights here and there into the program that that we like to share and. We just honestly like to talk hardcore nuts and bolts football. Um, that's all we ever really wanted to be on this show. Um, and even though we aren't as big as some other shows out there, we, we do our very best to bring you the most detailed, hardcore look at all aspects of Georgia sports. And we like to believe that, that we do a decent job of bringing you guys those that nuts and bolts, X's and O's, scheme-based talk about matchups, the schemes, all that kind of stuff that you just don't find anywhere else in the Georgia media. There's a lot of good stuff out there. But, uh, you know, Curtis and I, the reason we started the show back three, 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 three and a half years ago is that we just ne- never really felt like there were shows out there that we wanted to listen to that, that told us things that we didn't know uh, and kind of just uh, went beyond the surface talk. With a lot of the shows out there, we always felt like are kind of aimed at the average fan who kind of is, is a casual fan. And, and there are a lot of people out there that, that fit that mold, and that's great. But we also know there's a lot of people like us that want a little more substance to their football talk, and uh, we, we try our best to bring you that. But saying all that, 
our show is in trouble right now. Um, we're kind of at a crossroads of sorts with our show, and, and we're going to be very open with you about the situation. As I said, we've been working with vSporto for a couple of years now. They're a Silicon Valley company uh, that's been around for around about five or six years probably. Uh, and we received notice from our producer last week that vSport O, who has been really good to work with, I, I don't want to have anything negative to say about them. Our producer's been great. Um, they communicate with us. But the the parent company of Dawsports Radio, which is vSport O, that's been producing our show for three years, is shutting down operations, um, which honestly, it's not that surprising for Curtis and I because to be straightforward with you, um, it, it's been pretty obvious the company has been experiencing some financial difficulties for a while now. I mean, just... Uh, to be uh, to be honest, we haven't gotten paid for our work since January, um, but we've kept on producing content so you guys could still get your Georgia fill to kind of carry you through the long off season months. We and trust me, we, we know we know that the off season is very long, and um, we're hoping just all the while hoping that Vsport Oak can kind of navigate those financial difficulties and come out on the other end. But it doesn't seem like that's happening. Uh, we were told they were closing shop, but then we did get a, get word a few days ago. The investor group behind Vsporto did change their mind, and maybe they're going to try to possibly continue operations. It's kind of nebulous there. We were waiting on an update. We haven't really gotten that yet, but there's a word that they might be trying to continue. But really right now at this point, given that we are still owed months and months and months worth of pay, um, and there's no guarantee that we'll, be get, we'll get that money, let alone any money we might earn in the future, moving forward, we're just not prepared to continue uh, producing content for them at this time. So like I said, we have full-time jobs outside the show, and, and we sacrifice like, – I mean, not, not complaining at all, but we, we do. We sacrifice a lot to be able to do this show. We enjoy it. We absolutely do, and we do get paid a small amount for it. Well, we're supposed to get paid for it, but that hasn't happened recently. But anyway, we're, we, we enjoy doing it. We get a little money for it, but we do spend anywhere from 10 to 20 hours a week, depending on the time of year and what's going on, doing all the, the prep work. Uh, taking you know, put, putting our notes together, brainstorming ideas, uh, putting an outline together, recording the show, editing the show, producing it, all of that stuff. Uh, and that's a lot of time when you already spend 45 to 50 hours a week at your full-time job. And you have a family, you have a home, a home to take care of, etc., all that stuff. I'm not complaining, but that's just the reality of the situation. Uh, we love doing the show, but it does take time, and, and you got to make some sacrifices here and there. And But the thing is, if there's no financial incentive for us to do the show – as much as we love talking sports and, and doing the show, the opportunity cost associated with continuing to produce it is just simply too much. We just cannot justify continuing on with all the other things we could spend that time doing. Now, with that being said, we are not ready to close our doors quite yet. Uh, we've considered a couple different options on how to continue the show. We really tried to exhaust every avenue we possibly could. Uh, with the different podcasting networks, with the advertisers, but we just don't have the time or the expertise to be able to do all that. So finally, we settled on a plan to starting this week, the second show of this week, transition to a subscription-based model on Podbean. We're going to give it a shot. Uh, we know this is not ideal. Trust me, we know that. And this is not something that we take lightly at all. Uh, we kind of went back and forth in this, but we really think it's kind of our only option right now if we want to continue the show. We truly wish really wish that we could continue offering the show entirely free. Uh, but right now, uh, it's really only our only option, like I said, to keep the show going. We're, I promise you we're not trying to gouge anyone, and we're going to offer an introductory subscription at $2 a month. $2 a month with a one-week free trial along with that. And I guess we value you guys. We value you guys. We do. Each, every one of you. And we are so grateful for all the support you have shown us over the past three-plus years or so. 
So we really tried to price it as low as we could and still make it viable for us to continue doing the show. I promise you, we really are not trying to get rich all this, off this at all. We we just can't j- continue to justify it to our family, spending all the time that we do on this show, if there's not at least a small amount of money coming in. And I know money is precious. I really do. But hopefully pricing at $2 a month, that's something that you guys can afford to part with for the content we provide on a weekly basis year-round. I mean, obviously, that comes out to $24 a year. And dating back to this exact day last year, we produced 110 shows within the past year. So if you take the past year, if it was $2 a month, that's basically like $0.21, $0.22 per show. And I know a lot of you are going to hear this and be like, yeah, no, I'm out. No way I'm I'm paying for a subscription. Not happening. And and I get that. I totally do. And I I respect that. I really do wish we had another reasonable option. But right now, we just don't. Um, But while we are under no illusions, and we know that not all of you are going to follow us to Podme, we know that, but we certainly hope that some of you will. Uh, If you like our show, you enjoy it, and you want to follow us through the 2018 season as our dogs try to put together another run to maybe possibly grab that elusive national title, we're going to do our best to give you coverage that you won't find anywhere else with the same detailed breakdowns and game and scheme analysis that we always have. Uh, and we're also going to have a little more freedom now if, if we're not associated with V-Sport. We're going to have a little more freedom to do some different things, so that's kind of exciting as well. And the thing is, like, if the interest isn't there and no one really subscribes to the show, then that's okay. Uh, we can we can walk away and live with that. But we know that there are some of you out there that do enjoy the show, and so we, we basically just want to give it one last shot to see if there's any way we could keep this thing going. So really, ultimately, if you enjoy our podcast – and you like listening to what we have to say, and just you like hearing Georgia football talk, and you want us to be able to continue to produce our show, go to Podbean, search for Glory UGA Podcast, then click subscribe. You don't have to have an account right now. You don't have to have anything like that. It's really very easy and seamless. There is, If you go to Podbean, search for Glory UGA Podcast, click subscribe, or just pull up our Glory UGA Podcast page on Podbean, there is a link on the right side of the page that says buy now. Once you click on that, you just simply put in your payment info, um, and Podbean handles that side of things. We will not be handling any payments ourselves. Like that's just, we're, that's beyond what we're capable of and willing to do. That's all Podbean. And they are very credible and trustworthy on that front. They use the same credit card processing company that Lyft and Under Armour and Pinterest use. So very, very uh, trustworthy there. Or if, to make it easier for yourself, you can just go to our Twitter page and then click the link on our profile. And that would take you straight to our Podbean page for you guys to subscribe if that's something you want to do. Um, you don't, like I said, you don't have to already have a Podbean account before subscribing. Once you subscribe, they will create an account for you. You can then download the Podbean app to your smartphone to make it a little more seamless to stream the show. And uh, I want to make sure everyone knows when you initially subscribe, if you if you choose to do that, you do have to go through the actual Podbean webpage. Uh, even if you have the app already, they will not let you subscribe through the Podbean app. You have to go to the website to do that. But once you are subscribed, then you can go back to the app and listen to all the shows. You can follow us, and all the shows get populated automatically for you guys. And we're going to roll this out gradually over the next month. Up until the first game the first game week of the 2018 season, leading into the Austin P game, we're going to continue to post one show each week on the traditional SoundCloud, iTunes, all that kind of stuff, all those platforms. And then the second show of the week will be exclusive to Podbean, where you can only access it with a subscription. So if you want to listen to the second episode of our show this week, make sure to go to Podbean today. Subscribe to our show, and you can access that show once we post it later this week. 
But once the week of August 27th hits, which is that first game week of the 2018 season, you will no longer be able to find our show, our our, our new shows, anywhere but on Podbean. You're gonna have to have a subscription to access the content. Uh, right now on Podbean, you have all of our shows that we've produced over the past year that are up there for free. But as we continue to add new shows, you will have to have a subscription for those. And look, we're going to reevaluate at the beginning of the season, kind of determine whether we have enough subscribers to really truly give this a go through the season. So again, if you enjoy the show and you plan on subscribing, do that as quickly as you can so we can kind of include you in our tabulations when we evaluate whether this is something that we can sustain moving forward. So I know that was a lot. Thank you for listening to it, but enough of that. Let's talk some football. And today on the show, we're going to recap the noise around SEC Media Days. Honestly, Kurt, I don't know about you, man, but for the most part, I could not care less what the coaches say. Like, Do you care at all about what the coaches have to say in these kind of events? Um, honestly, no. I mean, it's just, it's coach talk. It's like the coach talk, yeah. ball coach talk. Yeah, it's just, it's a bunch of coach speak, and it means, like, it truly means nothing to me. Like, look, I, I always love listening to Kirby talk. I do. I just love listening to the guy talk. But if you follow the team like we do, like, in these settings, you don't really learn anything new. When it's like the national meeting. Now, if it's like one of his press conferences after a practice, you can learn some things, because he'll be straightforward with you. Um but in, in this kind of media day setting, I just don't think you learn anything new if you follow the team like you and I do and all of our listeners out there. If you follow the team as closely as we do on a day-to-day basis, you don't learn anything. Now, what's more interesting to me is all the narratives that the national and SEC media start to spin during their coverage of media days. That's what I find kind of interesting. That's kind of what I tune in to listen to. So today, we're going to look at some of the comments that were made by the assembled media uh, on TV, on radio, in print, wherever, on social media, uh, and kind of discuss whether we are buying or selling what they had to say. We try to compile as many of them that caught our eye as we could. Uh, we might throw in one Kirby comment here from his uh, his media days uh, showing, but other than that, we are looking at what the talking heads had to say. Uh, and we're going to start with a guy that I actually like a lot. I, I think he's really, really good. And that's Jordan Rogers. Uh, from the SEC Network. You like you like Jordan Rogers, Kurt? Am I alone in that? Yo, um, yeah, I actually really do. You know, I was talking to someone recently, and I said, uh, you know, of all the people on the SEC uh, Network, I think he's the most unbiased. Out yeah, there. I think he's unbiased. Uh, and because like he went to Vanderbilt, I mean, like if you go to Vanderbilt, are you gonna be biased? Because like like maybe if it's baseball or something. Yeah, but baseball. But football, you're like, oh, we're an afterthought, so like I'm not gonna. He just tells you, he calls it how he sees it, and I think he's really polished, and I think he does a really good job breaking down the game in depth. Like he doesn't like just give you like the average fan type talk. He gives you like the real hardcore look at what's going on. I have a lot of respect for what he has to say. Now he wasn't the best quarterback ever when he played at Vanderbilt, but I still have a lot of respect for what he says and what he does there. But um, anyway, Jordan Rogers had this to say. I thought it was kind of inter- interesting. He's obviously very high on us because he said, quote, there is zero chance any team other than Georgia is in the SEC championship. Obviously, he's talking about the SEC East there. So, Kurt, are you buying or selling what George Rogers had to say in that case? I, um, honestly, it's not being a George Homer. I'm buying it, and I think there's two main reasons. Uh, first off, as we talked recently, as you look over the roster and compared to everyone else, we just have a better roster up and down compared to everyone in the East. And I, I think one of the biggest things is the while we have a tough game uh, over in Columbia the first two weeks, um, both in, uh, I guess, a version of Columbia, other than that, I feel like we get most 
the schedule set up in a way that it favors us. You know, we go to South Carolina. That's a big if. If we get by South Carolina week two and Missouri in week four, like those two, those are going to be two tough games early in the season. Yeah, I agree. I think the biggest thing is, though, is when you look at the challengers like a Florida or South Carolina or even maybe in Missouri, here's the facts of the matter. For them to win the East, everything has to go perfect for them. That's true. And a lot for, of balls are going to have to yeah, roll their either, way. For, for any of those teams, there's a very small window of margin. And I think for us, we could have a little, like we could lose one game and still run the table. But with some of those sure. other teams, if they lost one game, I don't know how they wouldn't lose another or something along those lines. Okay, that's that's very fair. Here's what I would have to say, uh, and I, can, I can't argue with you too much there. I'm gonna I'm gonna sell this, but it's more of a technicality than anything. It's not because I don't think we're the best team. It's not, I agree with everything you said about us having the best roster, the best talent. I agree with all of that. Uh, and I know analysts are encouraged to have hot takes and kind of be outlandish uh, and make waves kind of like Jordan Rodgers did. They basically want them to say things to make people like you and me take notice of them so we talk about it on our podcast and get them attention. Uh, but the thing is, is, I don't like to speak in absolutes. The, the word zero in that quote is why I can't buy this. I have to sell it. Z- like, if, if he would have said we have by far the best chance t- to be in the SEC title game – I would be absolutely buying that all day long. But I just can't sit here and say that there is zero chance that anyone else can win the division. Uh, it, now, if, if South Carolina somehow beats us, because th- here's my thing. Like, it, think about this. If, this is an if. We, we don't know how this game's going to play out, but like, you agree that that game in Columbia, South Carolina, is going to be tough, right? Yeah. And if they somehow beat us, they will obviously have the inside track. And they, they, if they beat us in that second week of the year, they would, in essence, have a two-game lead on us because we would have to lose two games, or they would have to lose two games for us to be able to overtake them. And that's with us not losing any more. So that, that would definitely give them the inside track. And I also think they have a much more manageable SEC schedule than we do. Like Our SEC schedule is not crazy difficult, but it's more difficult than what South Carolina has. They don't get Auburn. They don't get Alabama. They don't get LSU. They don't. They don't even get Mississippi State. They have Texas A&M at home, which is. I mean, we'll see what A&M is like. Jimbo Fisher's there. We'll see what imprint he puts on year one. But I'm always kind of hesitant with year one coaches, no matter how good they are. Um, and then they have at Ole Miss, which I think is a sneaky tough game for them. I think Ole Miss is going to be sneaky tough for them. But still, I would say at Ole Miss, like is that to me that's not as tough as going to Baton Rouge, is it? So like it like if we beat South Carolina, then I would say all right, like maybe Jordan Rogers. Is, I'm closer to buying that, but like we we haven't played that game yet, and oh, that's a big if. But it's possible that we could somehow lose to South Carolina week two, and if we do, like that puts us in a tough spot, and then all of a sudden, then there's a chance, a real chance, that someone else besides us gets in there, even if we have the best talent, the best roster in the division, which I do think we do. But all of that brings us to our next topic, and. This is a, a very popular topic. It has been a popular topic over the past week on social media in particular. It's been all over the Georgia and South Carolina social media if you've been paying attention. Uh, and that's and, – and so I could have picked a ton of different guys, different personalities that said things about South Carolina and our matchup with them and then potentially beating us. But I chose to go with SEC Network's Peter Burns, uh, who's another guy. I think he's pretty good. I, I think I like Roger a little better, but Burns is solid. Uh, but – he said, uh, and I don't have the exact quote, but he said this multiple times throughout the week on d- in different radio spots. He said that South Carolina is going to beat us week two and win the SEC East. So, Curtis, I know that you are not buying this. We, 
like you and I, we've talked about this before. I wouldn't have brought this up again because we've talked about this before. I mean, we did our Scouting the Enemy show on South Carolina over a month ago. We've discussed them on a couple different shows. But South Carolina Twitter has been very, very vocal over the past few weeks, led by former cock Tory Gurley. You saw what he said, right, Kurt? Yeah. I mean, he guaranteed, he guaranteed, I'm sure a lot of you out there saw this, but in case you didn't, Tory Gurley, former South Carolina player, guaranteed a win over Georgia on the Paul Feinbaum show about a week and a half ago. And then he spent the past week or so trolling us on Twitter. So with all of that, we've gotten a few requests on social media to address the South Carolina game one more time. So that's why I'm bringing this up. I know we talked about it a little bit before, but we're going to go one more time in detail here, Kerr. I know that you're not buying this. I know we've talked about this before. But explain to us again in detail why are you not buying it? South Carolina beats us and wins the SEC East. Well, like you said, I'm a sell. And I think one of the biggest thing is, is I think all this talking that South Carolina is doing feeds right into what Kirby Smart sells. When Kirby Smart, he's a type coach that will look for any one thing to use to get his players' attention, to be the hard ass that he is in practice, and you know, get out there and say, you know, all these people are saying this. Are you going to prove him wrong or are you not? Um, I think he, I think that's one of the biggest things the way he coaches. You know, he like um, one of the things that came out after we beat Tennessee was, you know, he coaches uh, players and tries to, you know, teach them to say, break their will, go out, break their will and break it, and then the game will be easier. And I think doing all this talking, that first off, we are the better team. We're the more ma- more talented team. Now, if people have been coming in just overhyping us and not even, and, and sitting there saying South Carolina has no chance, um, I think we, it may have been a problem. But you have, you're hearing it from every sort of way that South Carolina is going to beat Georgia. And I think that's one big mistake that these fans are making is if you're giving it, if you're giving a team this talented any reason to come out there with a fire under them, then I think you're in for trouble. And again, like I, I'm, I'm not going to disagree with really much of anything that you said there. I think pretty much I mean, everything you said makes a lot gone, of sense. We've gone through all the rosters and the differences and you know all those things, but I think when it comes down to it, getting away from that, that – giving this team something to prove. You know, we're, we're the returning SEC champs. We played in the national championship. You know, we win the Rose Bowl. We've done all those things. So teams think, all right, well, we have the target on our back. Well, they're reversing it and almost putting a target on their back for us, that we have to go out there and prove something. Yeah, don't you kind of get that feeling? Yeah, I feel like the roles are reversed in this situation. Yeah, that's the one thing that's kind of stood out to me the past week or so here is like, somehow we've become the underdog in this game. Not, not not in everybody's mind. Again, I don't like to speak in absolutes. But in a lot of minds out there, it's like some people are in some way, it seems like, expecting us to go out there and lose this game. And I just, honestly, I, I, I don't see that. Uh, I'm not saying that we can't lose the game. I, I mean, I've talked about it a second ago. I think that we definitely could lose this game. This is a This is a very tough game for us. But for like you said, have the roles reverse? All of a sudden, like we're the one that's that's on edge here, and we're going to be the one that's that's got to co- somehow come in there and pull an upset. Even though none of the odds makers don't say that right now, but there are some out there that seem to suggest that. Uh, but for me, and you talk about some of this, I'm just going to kind of rehash a little bit here. In this game, South Carolina has two things going for them, two big things, and that would be the location where the game's played in Columbia, and the timing, the fact that it's so early in the schedule on the schedule that a lot of our young guys, especially on defense are still going to be very inexperienced. Like, is that fair to say those are two big things they have going for them in this game? Yeah. Right. And as you said, like, I think in this game, we clearly have the more talented roster top to bottom. So they have location, they have timing, we have the more talented roster. I don't think you can dispute that at all. Uh, now, most people who are on – here's what, what, what I'm seeing. 
Most people who are on the South Carolina bandwagon for this game, they are fixating on the offensive skill talent that South Carolina has returning with Jake Bentley and Debo Samuel, Brian Edwards, a receiver, Rico Dowdle come back at, uh, at tailback, and they match that up with what they perceive to be a Georgia defense that won't be able to replace all of the key contributors that we lost from last year's defense. At least that's what they're saying, right? Like, how can Georgia possibly replace Lorenzo Carter and Roquan Smith? How, I mean, how can they possibly replace guys like that? And they see what well, oh, South Carolina is coming back, and they say, oh, well, that's, yeah, look, South Carolina's going to be great. Okay, fair. I will say South Carolina does return a lot on offense. They do. And we did lose a lot on defense. We did. And But that, the thing is, that's typically where the analysis is stopping for these people who are on the South Carolina bandwagon. If you stop there and you say, hmm, okay, well, South Carolina's got some guys coming back at the school position on offense. Georgia's losing some guys on defense. Okay, maybe South Carolina should be a, 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 considered a team that can win this game very easily. But that's in, entirely ignoring the fact that the South Carolina offense was 109th nationally last season in total offense. They only averaged 337 yards a game. Like, do you hear anyone talking about that? No. And, I mean, that's the thing. They never talk about the statistics, and they never talk about what they've lost. No, they don't at all. Like, So, yeah, sure, they have Debo Samuel coming back, right? And, and, and Rico Dowdell, he missed half the season with a broken leg, and Debo wasn't there for most of the year last year. But they also had Hayden Hurst, right? Yeah. Who, last time I checked, correct me if I'm wrong, but was the first-round draft pick in the NFL draft, right? Yeah. And he's gone. Yeah, exactly. He can he operated in the middle of the field and controlled the middle of the field. So, basically what you're doing, yeah, you get Debo Samuel back, but you're trading a first-round draft pick in Hayden Hurst for Debo Samuel. I know they play different positions, but they're both weapons offensively. So, if you, you, you trade a first-round draft pick for Debo Samuel returning, and you expect an offense that was 109th nationally last year, that is going to be led by a first-time play caller in Brian McClendon. You expect that offense to just have its way with our defense? Like, I don't know about you, Kurt. I'd call that a little bit of a stretch. I, that's that's, such how, that's as simple as that. As simple as I can say, that's a little bit of a stretch. Will they make some plays? Sure. Yeah, I think they will. But I think their offensive aptitude is being severely overstated by some of the mainstream media. And, and again, like... Say, looking at their offense versus our defense, that's only half of this game. And we, you and I have talked about this. I'll say it again, though. What about our offense against their defense? Like, no one wants to talk about that, right? No. Like, all you're hearing is the South Carolina offense. I mean, that's going to be a tough matchup for that Georgia defense to place all those players. Okay, but what about the Georgia offense that averaged 100 yards more a game than South Carolina's offense last year that returns a quarterback who had the eighth highest quarterback rating in the nation last year as a true freshman? He's back. We returned six of our top seven receivers from last year. We may also have a former number one wide receiver in Demetrius Robertson eligible to play. We return what could possibly be the best offensive line in the league, with maybe the exception of Alabama. And we're using that offense is going to be going against a defense that loses seven stars from the defense that we faced last year in Athens, including three or four guys up front and three or four guys secondary. I don't know what they were talking about at SEC Media. They said that South Carolina was returning six guys on their defense, six stars. That that's that's not accurate. If you look at the, the the South Carolina squad that we played last year in Athens, and then compare those defenses. Yes, both defenses lose a lot from last year's squads. We do, they do, and we do. But the new players that we are working into RD are significantly more talented than the players that South Carolina is working into their defense. We just recruit at a different level. Like, it's just that simple. I went back and looked at the last four years. In the last four years team recruiting ranking, South Carolina has finished on average 21st national. They have not finished higher than 19th in the last four years. Georgia, on the other hand, we have finished 
on average, number four nationally in the team recruiting rankings according to 247 composite ratings over the last four years. That is a dramatic difference. That is a huge difference. I mean, we've already seen the difference in, you know, a top three class to a a six through ten class. So imagine when you're, like you just said, 15 spots later. Yeah, that is a dramatic difference, man. Like some people would say, well, number four in between, that's not that big. In recruiting rankings, that's night and day. That's the difference of probably at least 10 to 15 four-star. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not even close. So, yeah, we're replacing the guys, but so is South Carolina. And the guys we're replacing or we're using to replace our losses from last year are a heck of a lot more talented than what South Carolina has to work with. That's, those are just facts, man. Those are just facts. And then you also got a, a head coach. Now, both head coaches are defensive guys, but I'm sorry. I'll take our head coach's track record over Will Muschamp. Sorry. He's playing a national title game. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. And another thing about this South Carolina team from a year ago yeah, they won nine games. A lot of people are pointing at that and saying, you know, they took a huge step in year 200 Will Muschamp, won nine games. They got a lot of guys coming back on offense. So they, they should be even better this year, especially with again, Georgia at home, a, a pretty manageable conference slate. But if you really peel back the layers and look at that nine-win season last year, a lot of that was smoke and mirrors. Like I already told you guys, they averaged 337 yards offensively per game. They were 109th nationally in total offense. And if you look at their scoring differential, their yards differential, which is I think something I think is really, really uh, important in gauging how good a team really is, they were only plus 46 total points last year in the scoring differential. That what you, Basically what you do there is you take the total number of points that they that they score and the number of points that they gave up. They were only plus 46. And their total yards differential, they were actually minus 390, 390 yards. So they were actually outgained by 390 yards on the season last year. And, and to give you kind of comparison there, compare that to what we were last year. South Carolina was plus 46 total points. We were plus 285. South Carolina was minus 390 in total yards differential. We were plus 2,105 yards last year. What that tells me is South Carolina won a lot of really close games. They got lucky, and there were some balls that bounced their way. They didn't really dominate. By the, it, this is a team that struggled to beat Louisiana Tech, had to come back and beat Louisiana Tech, got significantly outgained by NC State in the first game of the year last year. They give them credit. They came back and found a way to win that game. But they honestly had no business winning that football game. So, yeah, I know they had a nice nine-win season last year, but I don't know if they were really nine wins good. I don't know if they were good at a, nine, a true nine-win quality type team. You look at us, you know, what we were able to do last year and what they were able to do, I mean, two totally different teams. So when you look at it, I would simply say right now in late July that our offense is better equipped, very simply, to take advantage of South Carolina's defense early in the season and the South Carolina offense is equipped to take advantage of our young defense early in the season. So there's our I, – I, I'm going to say it's our final word on South Carolina, but I'm sure we'll get more questions on them because a lot of, a lot of Georgia fans on social media are fired up about this, man, because there's been a lot of cock fans out there talking trash. and So uh, we got a lot of questions about that, so we want to touch on it one more time there. Our next one here, uh, this is an interesting comment that came from Gene Chis- who's another guy I think is really, really good on TV. I think Chiswick does a great job. And he had to, he had this to say about the, the Georgia quarterback situation. He said, quote, first of all, Kirby said all the right things. He said there was a quarterback competition. There is no quarterback competition. Justin Fields is going to learn what is going on, and they will have a package for him, but there is no quarterback controversy. All right, Kerr, are you buying or selling Gene Chiswick saying that there's no real quarterback competition in Athens? I think you have to buy it. I mean, I think the biggest thing is, uh, the realistic is, there's no question that Jake Fromm is the guy, you know, Fields is definitely going to push him. He's definitely going to, you know, uh, 
have a great competition between the two of them. But the biggest thing is when it comes down to, especially those first couple games, Fromm is your guy. I mean, maybe there's some competition as the season goes on if there's an injury or something like that. But in reality, if the game's on the line, they're going to have Jake Fromm in there. I mean, like Kirby said, he said, you know, I don't know what situation Fields is going to come in. It's not like Kirby's already decided that Fields is going to play, you know, drives here, drives there. No, he wants to see what he can do. But at the same time, he also knows uh, Fromm is the guy. He's got the huddle. He's got the locker room. He's got all that. All right. Maybe this is again just me like being t- too technical about it, and it's all I mean, about the semantics. About it last year, look, I mean, as good as as good as what we saw Jay Frog did last year, he wasn't the starter. I mean, there really, truly wasn't a quarterback controversy. It wasn't created until Easton goes down an injury. I just, look, I'm with you. I think that Jake Fromm is the guy, and I think that he is going to win this quarterback. I, I think he'll be the guy to open the season. I think he'll probably be the guy to end the season. I, and you guys know, I, I make no bones about it. I don't hide the fact that I love Jake Fromm. I think he's incredible. Uh, I'm, a, I'm, I, I said this since before he even took a snap. It's just from watching him in high school a lot and seeing him up here at the seven on seven camps. I thought the guy was unbelievable. Uh, and I wasn't at all surprised, really, like not at all surprised at what he did last year. I, I kind of expect that if he ever got a shot. So I think he'll win this job. But to say there's no quarterback competition, I, I, I think I would sell that. I think that this is a true competition. Now, I, I'm not, that doesn't mean that, that Fields is going to win it. I'm just saying I think that Kirby is going to make this a competition. I think he's going to allow Fields the chance to win the job. I don't think Fields will win the job. I don't think he can take it from from. I don't. Especially what Fromm was able to do last year and the experience he has. I just don't think Fields can match that right now at this point. But don't you think it, like he's really going to make this a, a, like a, a legitimate competition? Won't Kirby allow him to have a shot to win it? Oh, I mean, no, I don't argue See, that's that. See, that's, that's how I'm looking at this question. Like, when he says there's no quarterback yeah, competition— yeah, exactly. I mean, it's the way you, if you look at it, I mean, if you look at that, do I think Kirby's going to, you know, protect and say, you know, Fromm gets more of the first-team reps or, you know, how it goes? No, I think he's going to try to balance out and allow them to have a true competition, go at each other and practice every day. Yeah. Um, I agree with that. I mean, I was telling if that's what you're looking at, but I was buying the fact that... He said two I, different things. Chichester said there was, at first he said there's no quarterback competition, then he said there's no quarterback controversy. Kind of two different things. Yeah, see, I look at, I mean, I, I buy on the controversy. Uh, the competition, I would say... Yeah, because like when Kirby says, like, Kirby's all about competition. He talks about it basically every time he gets in front of a microphone, he talks about how important competition is. last year when uh, Ben Cleveland passed up Kinley mid-season. Yeah, yeah. He, 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 like, seriously, almost every time the man gets in front of a microphone, he's talking about how important it is to have competition and depth and that I mean, kind of thing. That's what he said the day he got hired. Yeah, absolutely. So I truly believe it's a, there's a competition quarterback. Like, Jake Fromm is not being handed the job. Like, Fields is, is, is going to be given a chance to compete for the job. That's, so that, that's why I say I'm selling it. He's going to compete for it. I don't think he'll win the job, but there's a there is a competition. Yes, controversy. It, it, I would say sure, sure. There, there's no quarterback controversy. I agree with you there. There's no quarterback controversy because I think Fromm has won this team over. This teammates respect and the coaches respect and the fans know what he can do. He and he know he's a confident guy. So I, yeah, no quarterback controversy. But I do think there's a competition. So it's just how you look at the question there. Uh, all right, next one. You know, this is not specifically about Georgia, kind of uh, in some way, but uh, just. Curiously, Kirk, there are multiple guys. Actually, I think it was basically everybody up there. On, I think it was David Pollock, and I want to say Marcus Spears as well, talking about who was the best quarterback in the SEC uh, this year. And they said almost unanimously that it was Drew Locke, that he was the best quarterback in the conference. Are you buying that, that Drew Locke is the best QB in the SEC in 2018? Um, no, I think I'm going to sell it. You know, I think the thing is – Drew Lockter is one of the best balls. He's got one yes. of the strongest arms yes. in the SEC, not the nation. But he lacks a lot of other things that make you a great quarterback. 100%, man. Like That's a, that's exactly why I'm with this. I think 
in how you answer this question depends on how you define best, right? Like best quarterback. Like if you look at it solely by the numbers, then of course he's the best quarterback, right? Yeah. I mean, what, 44 touchdowns, broken SEC record last year? I think he led the nation last year in touchdown passes even more than Baker Mayfield. So if you look at it from that perspective, you look at the, the, the raw numbers, you're like, oh, yeah, dude, like he's the best quarterback. But it, you're right. There's a lot of things that – that in a, especially NFL quarterback. I know this is not the NFL, but they that, they that you have to be able to do that he doesn't really do. A lot of times, and we've talked about this before, there's like half-field reads where he's only reading half the field. He's reading one man. Uh, that's why he, he kind of throws some picks sometimes and stares guys down, and, the, and their offense kind of stalls because if, if if you're playing a good defense that can take away that first read or that half of the field, then he has nowhere to go with the football. He has no idea no idea what to do because he, he can't do anything after that. There are no there are no other reads. It's that it's designed for him to be successful in that regard. But I'm with you. Best arm talent, I would say, yeah, probably. Um, but the, the, my thing with Drew Locke is this: if he was that good, would he have not come out last year and gone to the NFL draft? I have to say, I think he would have. Yeah, that's that's Someone my thing. Turned down millions of dollars to come back. Yeah, absolutely. There is a reason this guy came back after after setting all those records, and he and he has the NFL prototype size. It's not like he's like five foot ten or something. He's an NFL prototype size, an NFL prototype arm, setting all those records, and he still didn't get the draft grade he wanted. Hmm. That tells me exactly what you said, Kurt. He does not do NFL things. His offense is very dumbed down from a quarterback standpoint. Very simple reads. Now, in that offense, he is super productive because it's designed for him to put up massive numbers. But he's also a very different quarterback against better competition. Now, of course, you can say that about any quarterback. Most quarterbacks are going to have a tougher time against the best defenses, of course. But in Drew Locke's case, the splits between his the splits with his numbers against the best competition and the worst competition are particularly stark. Against uh, the... The best, I think it was five defenses that were in the top 50 last year that he faced. I pulled the numbers up here and, and, and kind of ran the numbers. The top the top five defenses he faced last year were all top 50 defenses. Against those five defenses, he completed 51% of his passes for 223 yards a game with eight touchdowns and seven interceptions. That's against the top five defenses he faced all year, all five top 50 defenses nationally. Against everyone else, he completed 61% of his passes for 356 yards a game 36 touchdowns and six interceptions. Curtis, what does that tell you? Uh, exactly what we've been saying. It tells you that he feasts on baby seals, right? Yeah. And against against really good competition, he is hardly even average. He's actually below average against good competition. And, I mean, like, again, all quarterbacks are going to perform worse against better defenses. Of course, that's true. But, like, his, his splits there are just incredibly stark. Like, you, that's a huge differential. So I, I would sell it. If you're going to sell that, who would you say is the best quarterback in the league? See, I don't know who I'd go with. That's my problem. I really don't know who I'd truly go with, but I just don't sit here and think he is. I think I might go with Jarrett Stidham. Yeah, that's probably who I'd honestly go with. I might go with Stidham. I think if if Jake Fromm was like a junior, I might go with Fromm. Uh, he doesn't have the prototype size or the, the like the arm or anything like that that Locke has, but he does things that Locke can't do from a mental standpoint. Or that, that I should say that Locke can't do that. I'm, he does things that Locke does not do: pre-snap, post-snap, decision making, all those things, accuracy consistently, uh, throwing from different trajectories, being able to actually put touch on the ball. Locke does not know how to put touch on any football whatsoever. Uh, so I mean, depending on the year that that Fromm has this year, maybe Fromm, but I probably would go with Jerry Stidham right now. If I had to pick one. Uh, all right, next one here. Now, this is a comment from uh, Kirby Smart. I don't have the exact quote here, 
Uh, but basically, when he was talking about wide receivers, talking about the wide receivers we have come back this year, and he mentioned four names, three names that we would all expect him to mention. Miko Hardman, Terry Godwin, Riley Ridley. The fourth name he mentioned, maybe this is just off the top of his head, maybe I'm reading too much into it, I don't know. But the fourth name he mentioned, or did you catch who he mentioned in that group? Yeah, Jason Stanley. Jason Stanley. So you caught that too. Jason yeah, I, I Stanley. I watched it with someone and looked at it and said Jason Stanley kind of was a confused look. Yeah, he, he rolls off the, the first three guys. Like, okay, yeah, we expect those names. No, no big deal there. And then Jason Stanley with that group. So are you buying or selling that Jason Stanley is truly in the rotation picture at wide receiver this year? Um, I'm selling it. I think the biggest thing is, you know, he's been there all this time. I think one of the reasons that he mentioned his name is, you know, he's one of these guys who gets a lot of playing time because of the packages where you bring in a blocking type package. Last year when you saw Trey Blunt and Jason Stanley come in, it was 100%. When they came in at the same time, 100% a running play. Typically they were cracking back. A lot of times it was a, a toss play. Yeah, exactly, and that's what I'm saying. I mean, it's not like the guy didn't play. You know, he's not a great receiver, but he does come in there and do what they ask him to do. So I think that's more, and he's an upperclassman that's been around. So I think that's more or less why he got mentioned. I think the upperclassman part is a big part of it. Uh, I think Kirby respects him. Uh, I also think, like, look, he has the measurables. The guy's fast. He's a big body. He has, like, he has what it takes from a physical standpoint to be a good player. But it's the hands, man, right? Yeah. I mean, how many times has this guy used those physical abilities to get open just to drop the football, like I'm talking like big, like potential touchdowns, like big time plays, and just drop it, time and time again, and it, it hurts me to see. Like I, I feel for the guy. Like I want to see Jason Stanley do well. Like when he gets out there and he drops the ball, I cringe. Not because I'm mad at the guy, I cringe because I feel for him. You know, yeah. Like you know that like the the mental battle you go through when you have drops like that, it gets stuck in your head, man. And like I want the guy to be successful, and and, and I'm sure he does it in practice. I, I'm sure that's what Kirby's talking about. Like he sees the big body, he sees the speed, he sees him catch it in practice. But it's like when he gets out in the in the game, like it gets in his head. It's that's the only thing I can that's the only way I can explain it. So maybe maybe this is the year that he gets in the game and it translates. Remember Marlon Brown a couple years back or years ago I should say now, like he was a big time recruit. I mean he was a bigger recruit than Stanley was, but his first couple three years didn't do much anything. His senior year he was off to a good start, then he tears his ACL, and gets hurt. But, you know, he was the guy that, you know, his first three years, you didn't expect that from him in his senior year. But he kind of broke out. Maybe Stanley's like that. But right now, until I see it on the field, I'm going to sell it. Um, but he has the physical tools. I just, like, it's the mental thing. I don't know if you can get, I just don't know if you can get over that all of a sudden become a major player like that your senior year. I don't know, I don't know if there's just that magic switch that you flip. We'll see. I, I hope so, man. I, I'm, I'm rooting for the guy. It would be great for him and be great for us, too. All right, a couple more here real quick. Uh, next one here, this is uh, both Greg McElroy and David Pollock were in agreement that DeAndre Swift has the best chance in the SEC of winning the Heisman Trophy. Are you buying or selling that? Um, I'm probably selling it. Um, you know, I think the biggest reason is it's very similar to why I wouldn't pick someone at Bama unless they were like a true just workhorse. And I think the thing is because you you have a stable of running backs. Um, I think that's the biggest reason that you, yeah. that I would that I would sell. I think I have to agree with you there. Uh, that's that's exactly where I'm going with. I, I I think DeAndre Swift's a great player. I think he's going to be a really good player for us. And so, please do not take this as as me saying that DeAndre Swift isn't going to live up to the hype. I'm, that's not what I'm saying. I don't think you are either. I'm just simply saying you're right. We have a stable of back, especially if, if Zamir White gets healthy, right? Like if he gets even remotely healthy, and he's getting some carries, and you got Brian Hare, and you got Elijah Holyfield. Maybe James Cook factors in the equation some way, somehow. I don't know how this will play out. We'll see. Is what fall camp's for. But we don't feature one guy. 
that's just not but that he had, we haven't featured one guy we had you know now we had two great ones the past couple years in Sony and Nick but I just don't know if he'll get enough touches to put because like for a running back to win the Heisman Trophy you're talking like two thousand yards right yeah I mean what was uh the dude uh from uh Wisconsin last year that tailback Jonathan uh or Thomas or no Taylor 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 yeah. He uh, he put up almost just a hair under two thousand yards last year, and he was like fifth or sixth in the, in the Heisman. So I just like I, I don't know, man. Now DeAndre Swift, if he put up numbers like that, sure. I just don't think it's going to happen in our in our scheme. I just don't see it. So I'm selling it. Uh, all right, next one here. I'm interested to get your take on this. Uh, this comes from Dari Noka on ESPNU Radio. He said that quote Alabama is the clear cut favorite, and then that was backed up by the uh, the SEC media or the media at Media Days voting uh alabama giving alabama 193 of the 284 first place votes in the league we got 69 so that they got like 68 69 percent of the first place vote so he said that then the media backed it up by voting it that way so are you buying that alabama is the clear-cut favorite in the sec this year um you know i do buy it i think the reason is that until someone knocks off Bama, then that's always going to be the case. I mean, last year we so it's won just the a bit of the doubt thing. Yeah, I, and I, I really think that is what it is. I mean, last year, yes, we won the championship, but we beat Auburn. Then when we had to go play Bama, you know, we lose. So I think that's the reality. The fact is, until 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 the Titan is beaten, that's always going to be the case. They're always going to get the benefit of the doubt. But isn't that somewhat intellectually lazy? It is intellectually lazy. It really is. But it's the reality that consistently over the last decade more or less since Saban's took over that they've been one of the top dogs that you had to go through them if you wanted to be the guy no be doubt the- they had the track record no doubt no doubt uh and and i get it. like if, if if like you would probably be stupid to like honestly like to pick anyone but alabama i can i can see like why you'd be dumb to pick anyone because they just they've done it year after year although we did win the title the sec title last year and came just an inch or two away from actually beating them but we didn't um I don't know, but okay. So I'm looking at this from like an actual on the field personnel standpoint. That's what I'm looking at. Like I, I, I get their track record, and it, that you cannot argue with a track record. But I think I might I, again, and this is me just splitting hairs here and being very technical and, and looking at the, looking at this from a semantical point of view. But are they is that being, are they the favorite? Sure, and I get them being the favorite. I'm okay with them being the favorite. But saying they're the clear cut favorite, like no one else has a chance. Like we shouldn't even talk about anyone else potentially being the favorite in the SEC. I'm going to sell that. Uh, last year, we were a blown coverage, one blown coverage away from beating them in the national title. Now, we didn't do it, but let's not act like they just beat us up and down the field, which a lot of Alabama fans, you know, the past couple weeks, been talking, they've been talking like that. They beat us, sure, but come on. We were one blown coverage away from beating them. And I think, I think Alabama was better last year than they're going to be this year. One of the and let me explain that one of the reasons they were so good on defense last year was that they were essentially matchup proof. And the th- there was three guys in particular: Rashawn Evans, Mika Fitzpatrick, and Deron Payne. That trio right there made them essentially matchup proof on defense because you got Payne eating up defense, eating, eating up double teams. You got Evans and his ability to hold up in coverage and uh, and also obviously play inside in the box there. And then Mika Fitzpatrick's ability to cover and also play in the box as well. That allowed them to keep those three guys on the field, and they could basically match up with whatever an offense wants to do. If the offense wants to spread it out, they can cover you. If the offense wants to try to spread you out and run it, well, they can they can defend you that way because you got uh, the ability to, with a guy like Drawn Payne eating double teams. Evan can play in the box. They were basically able to keep two safety steep at all times because they were so dominant in the box with those guys, just winning man on winning man on man battles. Those guys are all gone this year. 
Those guys are gone. Now, of course, they've recruited lights out, and you got, you've got some pieces that, I mean, Raekwon Davis is going to be really tough, but he was good last year. He was really good last year, but part of that was because Deron Payne was eating up so much attention. We'll see if, if Davis can do it if he's the guy. I would also say our quarterback has significantly more experience. I know that, that Tonga Bailoa came in and was, was really good in the national title game. Big part of that, I think, was because we had no no preparation for him whatsoever. We didn't expect him to be in that game. There was very little film to go off of. Team's going to have that this year. Our quarterback has more experience. He might not be quite as physically gifted, but I like Jake Fromm. I think the offensive lines are comparable. I might give, I would probably give Alabama a slight edge there on the offensive line, but I, I don't think it's that much of an edge. I think it's very comparable. Their running back core is probably a slight notch ahead of ours right now. Which is that fair to say? Yeah. But I think if Zeus can get to 100% at some point this year, that might be a push. I'd say the same thing about the wide receiver core. Right now, with Jerry Judy and Smith out there, I would probably give Alabama a slight notch ahead of us. But if we get Demetrius Robertson eligible this year, that's probably a push. And I believe that. Demetrius Robertson, I think, is that good. I like our secondary better than theirs, even with some of the guys that we're having to replace. I think we're going to be more talented than what we were in the secondary last year. I'd probably give them inside linebacker right now. I'd give them the edge there. So I don't think it's that much of a difference if you're looking at us in Alabama. And I also think that Auburn's going to have probably the best defense in the league this year. I think there's a really good chance Auburn's going to have the best defense in the league this year because of their front seven. They're going to be really, really good in the front seven. But like you said, Alabama has the one thing that we don't have and that no one else in the league has. They have that track record. People have seen them do it year after year. And I'll be real. Like, we have not shown that we can sustain it. We have to show that we can, we can sustain it. I think we can. I think the answer is yes, we will sustain it. But we have to go out there and do before we get that respect on a national level year in, year out, on a consistent basis. All right, last one here for you, Kirk. Uh, this just kind of caught my eye on Friday. They released the all-SEC teams the media voted on. And I, I didn't have a problem with most of it. But there were a couple where I just, like, I, I, I honestly, like a, like a mini freak out. Like, it's not that like, These aren't a big deal. Who cares? It's a preseason all-SEC list. Who cares? But just, like, it, to me, it just shows you how ignorant and lazy some of the national media is. Like, they just don't know. Like, they just don't know. C.C. Jefferson from Florida and Martez Ivy, also from Florida, were on the preseason first team All-SEC list. Are you buying or selling those two guys being on all, being a first team All-SEC pick? Um, I'm selling it. You know, Jefferson, I think, is a mistake. But the one I think is a gigantic mistake is uh, Martez Ivy. I mean, what has he done to deserve that? Martez, I, I, that was the first, when I saw Martez Ivy, I was like, what? First yeah, I mean, team. Jeff Jefferson, I, I'm, I'm first like, team. okay, you know, I don't like that, but I, I'm sitting here thinking, like, y'all got to be idiots. Martez, I, look, I know, that, okay, call me a Jordan Homer if you want, whatever. Martez Ivy over Andrew Thomas? Martez Ivy yeah. over Andrew Thomas. I know. I, know. I just, I, 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 mm, I don't understand it. I, I have a major problem. Honestly, I, I might have a bigger problem with C.C. Jefferson. Let's look at this. Look look at the defense here. Okay, C.C. Jefferson as an all-SEC first-team player. Let's look at the guys they have. They have him over Terry Beckner Jr. I think Terry Beckner Jr., if healthy this year, might very well be the best interior lineman in the league. And they have C.C. Jefferson with his four-and-a-half sacks over Terry Beckner Jr. Jefferson didn't see the field half the time last year. I just, I, I'm, they, ha, they have CC Jefferson over Derrick Brown and Auburn. I think Beckner and Brown are the two best defensive linemen in this league. And they have him over both of those guys. I would even, like, I would say Marlon Davidson and Dontavious Russell at Auburn are better than CC Jefferson. I, I just don't understand it. I, I just, man, like that, to, when I saw that, I was just like, Jesus Christ. Like, 
You people can do this with a straight face. And Chauncey Gardner from Florida, second team. I mean, I know I'm picking on Florida here, but I'm just like, second team, all SEC? Chauncey Gardner. Why? Because you've heard his name? Like, is, I, I can't come up with any other reason why he would be up there. Like, it just... See, that's one thing that shocked me is you have all these people buying in to the Florida hype. Like, uh, you have kids that go over there saying, you know, I expect full buy-in over at Florida. Why? 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 I, I get, absolutely, why? What? And we talked about Dan Mullen when we did the Florida preview show. And he's, he, he, now he, he stabilized Mississippi State. Absolutely, he stabilized Mississippi State. He had one really, really outstanding year. But he had six wins. What was like what six wins against teams that uh, was it, Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, Florida, and uh, LSU? Like it, in, in nine years, all right. I just I don't know where the evidence is that he's gonna come into Florida and all of a sudden just take the world by storm. I just I don't know. I know a lot of people believe that. Dan, I mean, I heard somebody say that Dan Mullen this week. I forget who it was off the top of my head, but one of those talking heads that he has Dan Mullen ranked as the second best coach in the SEC, and I just ah. Uh, Man, we're, we're talking about multiple guys with national titles in the league, and he's better than like, I just. I mean, like, would you take Dan Mullen over Jimbo Fisher? No. I mean, come on. I I just don't. I don't know. I right, kind of got kind of got off 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 focus there, but I just got some of these lists, man. They just I don't I don't get like truly. I think for a lot of these media members, I don't know if they actually watch it. Just, like seriously, think about it. When they like most of these guys cover a team, especially the beat writers, right? They cover a team, so like they go to their game, they watch that game. And they have to go do all the media stuff, the press conferences afterwards. They write their stories up. They send them off. They don't get to watch a ton of other teams. They really don't. They, they basically look at box scores and look at highlights. And so they hear names and look at numbers. Like, oh, yeah, I've heard that name. I, I, I saw him make a play one time. Yeah, let me vote for him. They don't actually watch games. Because how in the world can CC Jefferson or Martez Ivy be first team all SEC? How? It's impossible. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's flat out absurd. Sorry. Sorry. Just, I know I'm going crazy here. I just, and I saw that, man, and I just mm, don't get it. Don't get it. All right. Well, that does it for us here today on the Glory UJ podcast, guys. We definitely appreciate you taking time to listen to us as always. Again, as we said on the outset of the show, just a quick reminder that we are going to a subscription model on Podbean. If you want to get the second episode of the week, make sure to go over to Podbean and also just go to our Twitter feed and click on the link there and subscribe to us. $2 a month. Uh, it's $24 for the entire year. came out to like 21 22 cents a show uh, if, you, if it was if we had this going last year, because we produced 110 shows last year, so I, hopefully that's something you guys are willing and able to do. If not, we totally understand, but we, we definitely want to try our best to keep the show going. So if you do enjoy the show and you want to be able to to listen to it throughout the rest of the 2018 season, please head over to Podbean, subscribe. We just need your help if we're going to be able to continue on with our show. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. Thanks for listening. As always, go dogs.